I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. You are listening to Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. Did you know this podcast is the number one essential geopolitics podcast on Apple Podcasts? Well, it is, so tell your friends. Back to geopolitics now. Let's talk today about the Qatari influence campaign in the EU. You might know the headlines coming as they did amid the World Cup and all eyes on Qatar. Accusations of corruption among civil servants and politicians accepting bribes as Qatar sought to gain influence in the European Parliament. But let's go a little deeper. For details and analysis, Ryan Bowl is here with both. He's Rain's senior Middle East and North Africa analyst. Ryan, it's great to connect again. Thanks for having me, Emily. What a story. Please walk us through the details on this. What happened? Who's being accused of what? And what happens? So, so far, of course, this is all preliminary investigations. So what we know is that at least four members of the European Parliament have been accused of taking bribes from an unnamed Gulf state, and all the rumors are that it's Qatar, uh, on behalf of that foreign government to kind of lobby for uh, positive relations uh, with that country, to kind of give a, a, a positive sheen to their reputation uh, through their positions. And, and that's what we know so far, that we may see more details unfold over the, the coming days and weeks and months, and the trials themselves will re- reveal more details. Uh, but right now, it's a pretty high-profile uh, influence-peddling scandal, but Unfortunately, it's certainly not the only influence peddling uh, campaign that we can talk about. Wow, I didn't know there was even more. So what other campaigns have we seen? So we've specifically seen influence campaigns from Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, as well as Qatar, uh, in the United States and in Europe, but particularly in the United States. Uh, and, and a lot of them came to uh, a public notoriety during the early days of the Trump administration, when we saw lots of back and forth between the UAE and Saudi Arabia and Trump White House officials uh, trying to curry favor, trying to curry influence. And there were lots of rumors in those days of things like uh, wealthy Gulf diplomats staying in Trump hotels because that was a way to to win an entrance to uh, you know, to, to the White House, um, doing things like that, trying to lobby for uh, really high-profile things like major arms deals and and strategic realignments, you know, things like a major non-NATO ally designation status, things like that were on the table uh, back in those days. And um, you know, the their history of these things of of when Gulf Arabs started to switch over the way that they related to their Western allies is is really interesting uh, because when we go all the way back to 1971, Britain leaves, the United States enters, uh, and it becomes a security guarantor. And, and the relationship between these countries and the U.S. is very simple. It's, it's energy, it's oil uh, for American protection, and both sides get something really transactional out of it. That starts to change as these countries begin to diversify their economies away from oil and, in Qatar's case, from natural gas, starting around the year 2000. And the UAE was the first country that kind of got burned in this process. And what they tried to do in 2005, 2006, uh, 
Dubai attempted to get uh, a, a major contract to, to run American ports in, in 2005 and 2006, and they thought it was non-controversial. The Emiratis thought they had done their homework. They had hosted U.S. troops during the invasion of Iraq. They had done uh, all of their political work uh, with Congress and with the Bush White House. Uh, they thought that they were the, a, a great ally for this, but they encountered instead a, a Congress that was not willing at that post-9-11 moment to allow an Arab government to oversee uh, the ports of the United States in a moment where they felt that that might threaten national security, and they voted down the deal. It, it was a shock to the Emiratis um, that, that Congress could turn on them like that, and they realized that even though they had been valuable to the United States in so many other ways, they had to start getting into the weeds of, of influence peddling, the way that you know you see tobacco and oil and healthcare and pharmaceuticals, you know, how they how they try to, to move politicians towards their policy positions. Um, the Emiratis realized that they had to do the same thing. And and over time, the Saudis and the Qataris, both of whom are also engaging in high profile uh, economic diversification schemes that really do involve a Western component, they've also followed what the Emiratis have done. And they've gotten really good at, at doing the influence peddling the, the way that we see these other uh, private industries doing uh, over these past few decades. So, Ryan, talk about how this specific scandal will affect Gulf Arab lobbying campaigns in the West. So the short answer is that these uh, governments have been caught before and they will probably be caught again because the imperative for them is that they have to maintain positive relations uh, with these states in the West on multiple levels. They can't just rely on their energy ties to get what they want out of these countries. They have to fend off criticism for human rights records, uh, you know, violations of human rights that, that, that these Gulf Arab governments are accused of from time to time. They, they have to say that they are allies in things like climate change in spite of the fact that they're net car carbon exporters, um, they have to have a sophisticated campaign regardless. And so when they get caught like this, what it results in is an adjustment of tactics. They're not going to change strategy where for right now, they still very much need the West. They need the West to continue to think of them, if not completely positively, mostly positively, positive enough to continue arms sales, uh, to continue investments, to continue to allow tourism, and of course, to continue to allow Qatari and, and Saudi and Emirati money to be invested in the West without those without the, the threat of those being sanctioned or taxed or seized or anything like that. They, they certainly don't want that either. Uh, and so regardless of how many times they get caught, they're going to keep doing it. And, and what they may adjust after this particular uh, moment here in the European Parliament is that they're going to have to be more sophisticated about the ways that they provide gifts or bribery. It, it's going to have to be something not as overt as something not as overt as suitcases full of money. That was pretty dramatic image, right? Exactly. As one of these MEPs has been accused of literally keeping cash uh, in their house. I, I think they'll have to get more sophisticated like that, just like we've seen with, with other organizations that are unpopular, like the tobacco industry and oil, etc. They're very good at finding ways to give gifts to politicians to win the policy points that they want. Ryan Bowl is Rain's senior Middle East and North Africa analyst. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Emily. You can read more analysis of this situation and what is coming up in 2023 at Rain Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Find it at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. If you like this podcast, tell your colleagues. We'd appreciate it. And check out Rain's other geopolitical content on YouTube and our social channels. Just search for R-A-N-E network. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. 